I love this thing. And this thing also, and that thing. I'm smelling this microphone. It smells like oatmeal. Someone, someone was on here before eating oatmeal before they jumped in. Yeah. I'm like, I wonder if this one smells yeah. like oatmeal. <laughs> you shouldn't smell microphones. It's a bad habit. That's that's going on the podcast for sure. That is that is golden. You should never smell a microphone. Life lessons by John Alasia. <laughs> you don't know who is here before you, right? Never smell a microphone. Never wipe your butt with a trophy. <laughs> this is the the trust tree. Is that what they call it? The circle of trust. Tr- yeah, trust fall. Trust fall. I'll catch you. I'll catch you, John. From the El Toro. Com studios. This is the El Toro Podcast, brought to you by ElToro.com, where we target people, not pixels. Thank you for tuning in to the 19th episode of the ElToro.com Podcast. I am David Stadler, here with the man with the plan and a mic in his hand, DJ Austin Whiteley. What? And here today, we actually have two very special guests with us. One, John Alasia. That's our live studio audience. And Bud Lee. Earl Bud Lee. Earl Earl Bud Lee. The Earl of Bud. The Earl of Bud. (laughs) Better than the Earl of Sandwich. So first question, Bud. What is your favorite Bud? Since a meal. Since a meal? Oh, hell. Dirt weed, I like it all. I like it all, <laughs> man. That's, little, what I, that's where I was hoping hey, you'd go with a little this. Reggie. I dig it, dude. A little I, Reggie. A little press. Go around. <laughs> so, John Alasia is a three-time Grammy-nominated American record producer, composer, mixer, uh, and co-founder of Drive Music. Alasia has worked with artists including Lucas Nelson, Paul Simon, Herbie Hancock, some dude named David Matthews and his band. Who? Who? I never heard of him. John Mayer, Jason Mraz, Serena Ryder, Brett Denon, Rachel Yamagata, Ben Folds, and many others. In his early years, Alasia honed his recording and production skills with friend Douglas Dayberry at Rutabaga Studios in Arlington, Virginia. Derry Berry and Alasia were also an acoustic rock duo, having released three albums and done extensive touring along the East Coast. Together, they recorded and produced many Mid-Atlantic acts ranging from Dave Matthews Band, Vertical Horizon, Edwin McCain, to the Ben Folds Five and others. Today, John resides at the Village Recorder in West Los Angeles. We have another Grammy-nominated artist here. Not one, but two. Two Grammy-nominated artists. (laughs) (laughs) Grammys! With Earl Bud Lee. Uh, so Earl Budley is a singer-songwriter who has collaborated with artists like Garth Brooks. Who, also, who again? You might, you might better know him as Chris Gaines. Oh, okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you definitely. know Chris Gaines. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, His hair is just Is that how you were point. introduced to him? You were introduced to Chris Gaines, not Never. Garth Brooks? Okay. <laughs> you know, it's kind of an interesting thought. Man, th- this man needs who? no introduction, I wonder honestly. if Garth Brooks yeah, is yeah. actually Chris Gaines' alter ego. Ooh, Ooh, my mind's blown right now. <laughs> you wrote the anthem for all like smaller country counties, I believe, in the world. You can go ahead and, and list off some of your hits if you like, so the audience is on the same level as us and understand the magnitude of what you've done. Or John, if you want to, if if he's a bit modest. Earl Bud wrote "Friends in Low Places." What? Oh my goodness! And I believe, and I believe, as the myth goes, you wrote it in a bar with a friend. On a napkin? Well, yes. Yes, we were. Uh, I was upset with the music business, and it was going away from what I like to write, country. It was getting mushy. And uh, <clears throat> I decided to play hooky from church. 
one Sunday and I went to a, uh, a local bar downtown Nashville and I called my writing partner who was a great writer, uh, a long, long line of big hits. I called him up and he decided to uh, skip church too and we, uh, we ended up at this bar and we uh, were drinking champagne and making uh, hot sauce for chicken tenders. Trying to outdo each other. <laughs> and uh, after a bottle and a half of champagne or so, I just uh, picked up a bar napkin and uh, wrote, Blame It All on My Roots. I showed up in boots and ruined your black tie affair. And I passed it back over to Dwayne Blackwell. I'm Mr. Blue. I'm going to hire a wino to decorate our home. Throw your arms around this honky-tonk man. And many, many, many songs. And uh, he got some chuckles out of that. And he... Uh, he wrote the next verse, passed it back to me, and I wrote the chorus, passed it back to him. He wrote the last verse, and we went back over to his uh, place and picked up this old Martin guitar. And I had been playing this. Harlan Howard is a great songwriter. Uh, from I Fall to Pieces to uh, Timber, I'm Falling in Love, uh, Patty Loveless, and uh, so many. I've got a tiger by the tail. He's just so many big hits. And he loaned me, his big uh, saying was three chords and the truth. So they made him a guitar that only had three frets. <laughs> and he loaned that to me, and I had worked out the arrangement for friends on another song with that guitar. And we went back over to uh, Dwayne's flat and uh, picked up that old Martin. And uh, they said, how long did it take to write that song? And I said, 35 years and 20 minutes. <laughs> for real oh it's the experiences you put into it and then, well and then garth had already recorded his first lp and i called him up he'd been singing demos for me i was writing for motown of all people <laughs> at that point and uh, called him up and asked him if he'd sing one more demo for me and he came in and sang i've got friends in low places and he's like where were i where were you three weeks ago <laughs> And I'm like, well, where were you three weeks ago, cowboy? <laughs> well, he ended up recording it. We all got in there and we sang the backup on it. And as you know, how many records did you say, John, to Over your recollection? That one mm. song. Good Lord. Mm. That doesn't happen these days. That's quite we a got, few records. We got rock stars in the building tonight. Indeed we do. Indeed we do. Thanks for showing up, fellas. Thanks for thanks for coming and spending a little bit of time with us, sipping on a little bit of a uh, little bit of bourbon with mm -hmm. us. Um, what, are we, what are we sipping on right now? We we are imbibing today. Um, you know, it's it's a day that ends in Y, um, so that's a good day for bourbon. Um, today we are sampling a bit of E. H. Taylor Jr. Small Batch out of the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if, you, if there's a little bit of history on the back of these bottles, and I like the bottles that got history on them. I like the bottles that have details uh, written on them with respect to mash bills and things of that nature. Um, E.H. Taylor, uh, and I, I don't want to misspeak with respect to this, but he's kind of one of the fathers of the current bourbon industry. Um, I think it was a lot of his practices from the post-Civil War era are still um, alive in the bourbon industry today. I believe it was the OFC distillery uh, back then that he had purchased um, and started distilling originally. But um, this is, uh, it, I guess it's one of the more common uh, Colonel Taylors that you can get a hold of, the small batch here. Um, when I, when I, I mean, we'll, we'll just go ahead and give it an initial, actually, I, I lie. <laughs> I've been drinking on this a little bit already, guys. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you, when you sniff and, and you kind of, 
um, you kind of get that first taste here. I, I have something that's very, very, very corn forward on my palate. I've got something, I, I smell something that's a lot sweeter than it tastes, um, but I smell a little bit of caramel. And aside from that, once I kind of put it on my palate, you know, the, I'm overrun with spice. Um, it's a bit robust, yes. Indeed. A bit forward. A bit much for me. Look at a, little, it. a little flirty. I'm not right? as complex as, as this whiskey. Yeah, this I mean, bourbon. I'm not going to drink three glasses of this. I'm probably going to move over to the Buffalo Trace, which tends to be our go-to. A bit smoother, maybe? Indeed. Mm, I would say indeed. so. Uh, something I can drink a little bit more readily. But this has, this has character in spades. So <laughs> let me ask you about Taylor. I'm told that, tell me if I'm wrong, did they have the largest warehouse for barrels in America? I could Ooh. not speak to that, but it would not surprise me in the slightest. Coming in hot with the trivia. And they're, uh, they're on the bourbon trail, correct? Indeed they are. And that's a hell of a, I mean, it's a beautiful place. Oh, yeah. I think the Rick House that Taylor built is mm. where his stuff is still aged today. Uh, but, you know, once again, uh, I've never needed facts to create a story. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if it sounds good, let's go with it. Hey, perception is reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dig it. <laughs> <laughs> So, back on the rails, how'd you fellas meet? I have a buddy of mine named John Tierney that I grew up with. And John and I knew Patsy Summershine, who is Earl Bud's wife. And we grew up with Patsy. And I'd see sightings. I'd see Earl Bud from across the room at this, this little barbecue party after the derby. Mrs. Lee. Mrs. Lee. And my friend John said, that's Earl Bud Lee. He wrote all these tunes. I was like, damn. Damn, he's good. <laughs> so one day, I think after having a little bit of drinking a little courage, you know, I, I went up to him. And I, I'm not sure how, but we got on like a house on fire. We, we just started talking, and then we saw each other more and more, and then he came out to California, and we worked together a little bit, and we, we've just been good friends ever since. We, wrote, we worked together last year down in Nashville, but we've become just good buddies over, over the years, and I'm, I'm happy. Love knowing him. This man is a dandy in the studio, and I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> I went to his studio at the Village Studio in L.A., and he took me up to his area and played every instrument on the song. We decided to write a song, uh, what's that title, Foggy Minded Breakdown. <laughs> Dropping soon. <laughs> and he played every instrument and, and set me in the vocal booth, and we just pretty much let it roll. Dig yeah. it. Two talented individuals, right? Here. His skill set is mind blowing to me, because he. We were talking about this this morning. That you know, when you're a writer, because I'm a I'm a producer. I mean, I write a little bit, but I try really hard to write, you know. But he, we were talking about how things come to you, like how songs, you know, because they just they kind of come out of ether, right? They, you know, and you can either act as what do you say, a, a conduit. conduit, right? And mm -hmm. and it just kind of comes through you, which I think a lot of people I've worked with, Dave Matthews, John Mayer. Jason Mraz, whoever, Paul Simon, these guys will just, they do feel like they're getting hit, you know, um, and it, it comes to them, and they refine, um, and they rework and rework and rework. Some don't have to rework. I don't think you have to rework. It just hits you. I take my time. Yeah. Just skip church, drink champagne, and hang out with your buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Done. 50 million. Well, we could go on and on about that. It's really interesting to see how, how songs come around, you know, and then producing is a whole different ball of wax because you don't know I mean I think the more I produce the more heady I become because when you're younger you you do it very innocently you just say let's do this let's do this you know and mm -hmm. and so when I made 
I guess John Mayer's first record, I was just doing everything from my gut. I, I like all the records I did primarily from from my gut. And then, you know, when music changed, you know, suddenly live musicians were no longer essential, or they weren't they weren't the primary focus of making records. And you'd have guys in their bedrooms, and 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 I know many of them who are wildly successful and very talented, who would make records in their bedroom uh, on a laptop. I'm old school. I mean, I can do that too. I can make music on a laptop and it can sound really big and, and all that. I love having people in a room. I love having as many people in a room as possible to capture that crazy... Magic. Magic. There's, of, no just, you know, for it. there's more vibe. There's more... There's just. I mean, I think the majority of all the records I've, I've loved in my life that are timeless are people in a room probably the size of this room, mm-hmm. like the Motown records. You know, like everyone's just jammed in a room Sweat, and it's just and it's just thick with vibe and, and you mm. know and everyone's feeding off each other's energy. It's, um, not, it's not technically perfect either. It's just there's no. got a certain mojo. Keep all the messy stuff in there, you know. I mean, all those Beatle records were messy, and, and they I love them. I used to mm. I used to think, how can I make a record like that? You 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 have to have that's capturing what lightning in a bottle. Having four geniuses in a room with a genius producer and a genius engineer. That's that's what the Beatles were, right? Yeah, just stand next to the lightning rod and try to get shot. Yeah. Now, early drug-fueled Beatles or latter Beatles? I believe both. I think both. I mean, I loved, I loved all of them. But my, my favorite records um, by the Beatles, I, I, I have to say my favorite record, and this is may come as a surprise. I'm not sure. I'm ready to be surprised. Hit me. Um, Abbey Road. <laughs> Abbey Road's my favorite. And then, and then I love the White Album. Mm-hmm. And then I love Revolver. So you, you love all of them, pretty and Sergeant, much. And I love all. I mean, I'm a crazy Beatles fan. <laughs> I love the Beatles more than anything, more than any other musical entity. In my mind, all roads lead to the Beatles. Oh yeah, they were masters. Sir George, the, George, my favorite Beatles song is "Something" by George. George is powerful. Oh yeah, hmm. often overlooked. But before, before we get too deep into this, let's let's kind of set this up how this came to be. So Patrick, your nephew works here. Mm-hmm. He said, "Hey, I got John Alasia." I was like, "What, John Alasia?" So I oh started sweating. I started freaking out. He's going to come on the podcast. Okay, okay. Then he, he had to unfortunately reschedule because Dave Matthews calls. And, you know, when Dave Matthews calls. Who? He, he, Dave Matthews. Huh. Look yeah, him never, up. Never heard Look at his Wikipedia. Just look at it. But that's, that's a pretty reasonable excuse. Hey, I have to go record Dave Matthews right now. Like, okay, understandable. Yeah, he busy. And so. we had to go to a really cool place to do it. We had to go to Skywalker Sound up in Marin oh County. No way. And it was awesome. Oh yeah, it was the best time ever. Because working with Dave is is anti grumpy as you can get. It's just fun, 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 fun. Did you get the hold a lightsaber? Is the question. No. What? No. Garbage. Damn it, man. We're going back. You got to be superimposed into there. But but so when we reschedule, John Alasia he calls me, texts me, and of course I missed the call and I freak out. I was like, oh no, he's got to reschedule. No, but I get him on the phone. He's like, can Earl Bud Lee come? It's like, what? Like, how can you not let Earl Bud Lee come onto the podcast? This guy is a living legend. So two living legends, wham, bam, right there. I give people too much credit. (laughs) (laughs) How did you guys get to where you are, kind of summarized, and, you know, what was the path that led you to start to live your love, you know, your passion? You guys are what I call true entrepreneurs because you work up every day, and it's not work, it's love. I mean, I've was in a band from the time I was in fifth grade. I was playing the PTA uh, meetings. Sick meetings. And then I would play whatever whatever, whatever <laughs> parties I could in grade school, I'd play with my band. 
And then high school came along. I had another band, and we played everywhere we could. <clears throat> Oops. And then college came around and made up another band. And by the end of college, I had two bands. I had three bands, and I was working. I was a caterer in Washington, D.C. I had a job on Capitol Hill. And I was in a, I was in two bands. You were broke times four. I was. I worked. I worked all the time, but I loved it though. The thing is, I, I, and I ultimately got to drop my other two jobs, uh, catering and, and being on Capitol Hill, to play music full time. So I was playing and, and writing as best I could with my buddy Doug Derryberry, and we made three records. We toured all over the place, and through that whole touring process, we were finding bands that were blowing us away that were opening up for us. So with all the money we made, we just put it into recording equipment, and we made a big studio, a really cool little studio in, in our little place in uh, Northern Virginia. And we'd have, you know, Vertical Horizon or mm-hmm. Ben Folds. We just made this really cool vibe. So everyone, everyone would come, and they just make a lot of crazy... we make a lot of crazy music together very quickly. I guess my break, I guess you'd call it, was when I did Dave Matthews' very first record. And I was so in love with that band. I was a total knucklehead. I, I couldn't be cool. I was just... <laughs> I, I was pretty much me She's right now. Like, I was like I was awesome. nervous and I, I I didn't know how to really just be myself around these guys because I knew that they were something special. But Dave asked me to make their first uh, independent record, and I, I went on the road with them forever. And um and that whole meeting of Dave came. It was just by chance that I went to this little place called the Bayou in Washington D.C. It's a little club, yeah. and my friend Scott Clayton, who's um he he was booking my band at the time. He's he was starting to book Dave Matthews as well. He said, there's this guy, Dave. I know, I know this guy right here. Yeah, so I went into the bayou, and there were probably 25 or 30 people there, and no one was really checking them out. And I, I was going to fall over. Just I couldn't believe how exceptionally wonderful these guys were. So I just started to capture their essence live, and I'd bring Dave into my little basement in Virginia, and we'd sketch out a whole bunch of tunes. And then, you know, he kind of broke kind of big, and then after that... Just because of my work and relationship with Dave, the likes of John Mayer, Jason Mraz, but then they all kind of like, I get to work with them. So I'm, I, I was kind of lucky. It was kind of being in the right place at the right time and, and not fucking up, you know? Oh, yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> Availability. You can't, yeah. you can't get ready. ready. You got to stay ready. So, so you got to be ready and you got to not fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> you pretty don't mu- press, don't erase the shit, you know? <laughs> Oops. Shoot. Austin. Guys, sorry. <laughs> it's only happened once, Stadler. Come on. Yeah. But you were kind of like how I was earlier. I was like, you know, do you guys like weather? You know, just like I an awkward. Like, yeah. What are you going to say to like living life? I eat eggs. Do you guys eat eggs too? Man, I would, I would definitely love to be a weatherman. I mean, if, if music never panned out for me, I was looking at meteorology and I'm kind of very serious about it. I love weather. I love weather. Everybody would love to talk to you. Also, growing up here, you know, in Tornado Alley, well, it's not really Tornado Alley, Tornado Valley. But when I was a kid, we had a crazy tornado here, April third, seventy four. Oh yeah, you got to see it firsthand, and I wiped out my neighborhood. Me too. And I'll tell you, when when you when you're a nine year old kid and you survive that thing, you think I'm I can I can take on anything now. I'm made for. I suddenly this. became a man. You were truly invincible at this yeah. juncture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would have been the storm chasing style of Hell meteorologist. Hell yes. As a matter of fact, when Dairy Bear and Elijah, when we were on tour, <laughs> we were always going through Texas, and we would see crazy cells like off in the distance yeah and i'd say let's go chase that thing but we were you know we were driving an old bronco that, that could go maybe like 60 was it five. white was it a white no, bronco? It was a navy blue yeah, bronco but, it, it but we, we, we didn't have the the mean we, we, we didn't have the power to to really storm chase but i love that shit I mean, probably, probably i love weather things out in california you don't get weather 
You know, well, you do, you do, you get crazy things, but just amazing weather all the time. You do seventy four and sunny. It's every not day. snow on Monday, bright sunshine, and, and seventy two on Tuesday. Have you guys been to California? Yeah, I have not. Oh, you got to come. I'm not cultured like that. I did oh, California. It's, it's gorgeous all the time. It's Everywhere good. you look. There's so much out there. You even have the weather weatherman terminology down, the stel- the cell, the storm cell over there. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> also, if you've not seen um, L.A. Story by Steve Martin, have you seen that? Negative. It's about a weatherman who resides in L.A. and calls out the weather. I'll give it a <laughs> shot. Falls in love with Bernadette Peters. Remember that? It's a good movie. Yes. Yeah, any, any, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any Steve Martin movie is a good movie. Yeah, right? The Jerk is my all-time oh, favorite. Oh, yeah, of course. That should be required viewing. Yeah, can we require that before we, we hire yeah, someone Yeah, I mean, if you, if you haven't seen, you know, The Jerk, you don't get a job. Straight up. That's I'm cool. fair. So we've covered two things about John Alasia here. You know, one, how he got into the game, and two, what his business would be if he were not involved in music. Or a pilot. Or, or a pilot. pilot. So okay. there's a second job. Bud, go ahead. Or would you prefer to call me call you Earl or Bud? Bud's fine. <laughs> Earl Bud's a little better. I got you, man. <laughs> How'd you get in? What 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 like compelled you to start writing music? I think I think it was energy. Some energy. I was five when I walked up to the edge of Niagara Falls and felt all that power. It just felt something like I should turn around, and I turned around and to look, and my mother was yelling something. I'd slipped away from all of them and just got <laughs> under this chain and walked over there. It's not dangerous or anything. Ah, no, and uh, uh, well, the turntable became my good friend. From Montevani and Henry Mancini to Flat Scruggs and... Hank Snow and Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and a big bopper. And so I, I started listening to, to uh, records, and then as time would go by, I was fascinated by different rhythms, melodies. And from there, I started really listening, innocently listening to lyrics. I didn't quite understand some of the uh, lyrics, but some of them I just I grabbed onto. And still today, I learned a lot um, of ways not to write. I was always writing something down. It's hard telling really what prepares a person to be a writer. I mean, a writer's a writer's a writer's a writer, and there's all types of things to write. Experiences. I mean, you can't learn that in a book, really. Can you? Well, you know, there were some things I learned in the book, and that was, some of that was the mechanics of writing. You know, you start with a blank piece of paper and a pencil. Everybody's got that. <laughs> Yeah, you, just you got no excuses, guys. <laughs> That's true. At, at breakfast, Earl Bubb was telling me about William Nelson's book. What's it called again? It's My Life. My Life, yeah. It was something like that. It's a long story, My Life. Published by Zigzag, probably. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> the music is always a place to go to for me. It's a safe place for me. It's good therapy for me. I can vent some thoughts that I really wouldn't bring into a normal conversation. I'm free to say, in standard time, probably two minutes and 15 seconds, everything I want to say, get in and get out. <laughs> it's efficient right there. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's stuff you can say artistically about your maybe wife, but not re- not to your wife, maybe? Well, yeah, Sometimes. love. Love is always the culprit. There's always a woman involved oh, or yeah. a girl involved, so pretty easy target to hit. Yeah, but if you have close people around you and you need to let something out, don't they read into that? I, mean, I heard a song with Thank God and Greyhound, She's Gone. 
uh, <laughs> you know. Still with her. That was another thing about uh, what you do, though. You know, you bring the feeling out in. So, like, hey, you wrote it. You're the one to sing it. Feel it. Make me feel it. The important thing is not to get in the way. Because mm-hmm. there's some people like to over, you know, they want to control everything, and you can't control. Mm-hmm. Of there's course. No, there's no such thing. And, and a lot of people don't know that. Mm-hmm. And to see people who say, well, we're going to have it on a click. We're going to do it this way. We're going to it's, it's, you know, and I know some producers who, who actually believe it's their way or the highway, which I think is mm-hmm. a little tough. Who, who's that? What are, what are these names? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you don't have to. I know nothing. <laughs> so, 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 Buds, you told us a little bit about some of your origins in music here, but when did you realize that, you know, and I, man, I can make a living doing this. I never really thought about that. It was always about the song and about, you know, being the best. I mean, it was in me. Something was wanting to, it's time to fe- free the beast, it's time to feast type thing. I mean, you had to rely <clears throat> or at least trust somebody because, I mean, Nashville is a nice city, but, I mean, there's people out there that would probably want to take advantage of you and, you know, skew those royalty um, yeah, dividends. That, that, would, that would happen, and that, too, is a learning process to, to shed off some type skin and get on to the next. And, uh, John, you, you know, uh, as far as getting in and getting out, you know, it's interesting. I was working with Lucas Nelson, and I still am. We're finishing up his new record. And a couple years ago, his first his first real record on Concord came out last August, I believe. But we worked really hard on arrangements, and I actually had big string arrangements on, on some of these songs, which were very much taken from, you know, like the Paul Buckmasters or just the, the, the great arrangers. Um, of like the 70s, you know, Elton John, like that, those kind of string arrangements. And they're beautiful. I had my friend Ollie Krauss, um, we were working on them, and I had them beautifully orchestrated. And the label president was like, nah, it's going to get lost on the kids. Take, this, <laughs> take the strings out. But I mean, I was, I mean, they were beautiful records. I mean, it was like Nielsen, you know, everybody's talking like that, that, that kind of beautiful cinematic uh, approach to, to string arrangement behind Lucas. And, and, and we would go back and forth. I lost the I lost the battle, but I, I put in my my two cents over and over, and they said lose it. And then when we went to master and the record came out, Lucas called me and said, "I want those on there. Do it. I want the, at least on at least on one song." Um, <laughs> and we actually had a version that had strings on the vinyl. But when it comes to really dressing up a tune and and and, and producing it, I mean, I, I think at least in my career, my most successful projects were when you didn't have a lot of people involved mm. and it, when it was just myself and the band you know or the artist because our whole mission is to make beautiful music and, and we're not trying to we're not looking at the commercial viability necessarily but sure. I, I mean I, I'm thinking about that in the back of my head <clears throat> but mm-hmm. I'm not trying to sell anyone out and I never will I much prefer to be on the art side of things always have been I mean you can't you can't put a gun to my head and say you know, put four on the floor and make it commercial 2019. I just don't do that. I, I two can't. minutes, 30 seconds. Don't go over. Yeah, I don't mind two minutes and 30 seconds. I like that. <laughs> but I think trying to chase trends is just the silliest thing in the world. I know, I mean, you know, some people, it, it, it's, it's one way to do it. I just never thought 
why do that? You're never going to break the mold. You know, if you're, if you're always copying something, there's, there's, there's a dead end to that. I say, just, I, I still kind of go with my gut, but you know, as I, as I said earlier, the more I do it, the more heady I get about, about things because I can produce things a million different ways now. Whereas I used to only say, well, that's the way to go. Whereas now I'm like, well, we can go that way, that way, that way. We can go with this. We can go so many ways. And so I try everything, mm-hmm. and usually come back to my first. Good. Approach. You took that question right out of my mouth because you know how do you how do you balance what's going on right now to make this record successful plus the A and R guy from the record label saying yeah. it needs to have this and this and throw some horns on it yeah. and that's just not what you're feeling plus with all the options in the digital realm yeah you know like how can you not try all those options is it yeah. paralyzing does it does it give you writer's block you know, speak anything on that you'd like because well write and take notes over here i love i love i I love the people i work with and i love the job i have and you know what you never do it for the money i never did it for the money never thought about it and i until we need the money until you need it yeah (laughs) you can't keep doing what you love if you don't get paid for it well i mean how did you guys first get paid i mean besides besides the first gig i did my first dave matthews record entirely on spec which everyone you know when you you can translate that that means that means spec not to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, everyone thought, are you crazy? So I had like a little back end, you know, but I love Dave. And, and I pretty much did the same thing with John Mayer and Jason Mraz. I mean, I took chances. I, I took chances on a bunch of people. I even like whatever money I made on those guys, I put back into other people and I'd lose it or I'd, you so know. So that's your, that's your business it, model, though. You start, you know, early bands and kind of develop them yeah. and help them get their sound. Yeah, I'm, I'm working with a young kid right now, and the thing is, I'm, I'm financing it myself, and it's... It's kind of like have, when the club owner stiffs you. Yeah. But, you know, I think <laughs> karma karma is a big is a big factor in things, and I think you have one reputation, mm-hmm. you don't fuck it up. Just, you know, be be good to people, and because and, it's a small world. Everyone knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Sure. All that John Alasia. I don't know about that John Alasia. Yeah, well, oh, my shit. gosh. That, that guy. Who wants to work with that guy? I'll tell you, Kentucky's a little funny. They got some funny people there, right? Nice bourbon, but weird right. people. Oh That's my right. Gosh. I'm a little thirsty. I'm getting a little thirsty. <laughs> no, but, but but I think you know, working with Dave. I mean, I worked with Dave for gosh, I don't know, a year, year and a half on spec, and I didn't wow. care. And actually, I remember like <laughs> I was playing with Doug Derryberry, and we were making great money as a duo, playing all around. And I was on stage, and I said, Doug, I gotta take a break from this. I just gotta make music, and I gotta be in the studio all the time. And it was a huge pay cut. I mean, I, I went from making decent money to making nothing, mm-hmm. but I had to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of musicians, a lot of writers, a lot of artists, they have no choice. You just say, I got to do it. And so that was the choice I had. My family from Louisville, Kentucky, I love them, but my father didn't understand. He, he, and I, I understand why I didn't understand, because if I had a kid who wanted to go to music, I'd say, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, you, you should you should re you should reassess. You know, but the thing is that as a twenty five year old kid, I didn't know that. That's the only thing I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I persevered. Thankfully, I got lucky because Dave took me. He took me on. Without that, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm something I could have maybe gone another way. What's What's the percentage of luck that you factored in? Well, what's dedication? I worked. I worked, skill, I worked tirelessly. I worked all the time. Um, maybe maybe I mean, maybe Dave should be thanking John. Job. No, no, I, mean, I was very lucky. Um, I'll tell you, there's there's definitely a, a factor of luck, and there's timing. You know, John Mayer in the year 2000, when I was working on his first record, I thought it may have a modest success of like maybe a hundred thousand, not six million or five million sales, right? But 
you know, we you can't be greedy. You got to be thankful for any anything you get. But when we were up for those, I think three Grammys, two I or three Grammys, I lose they, track of it now, Stadler. Three. We were up against Nora Jones, and I knew Nora, and I knew uh, her her her, her uh, whole not, crew. Not Nora again. Yeah, but Nora knocked us off of all our Grammys. I mean, she she oh. just she blew away the Grammys. She she took uh, awesome. eight Grammys home that year. I'm like, damn. And she was opening up for uh, John. <laughs> that 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 tour, but I mean, you know, you you always think like, what if we'd done that maybe a year before, a year later? I mean, we could have maybe have won eight Grammys because I mean, because John became massively popular after that. Mm-hmm. You can't think about, it. you can't compare. That's a that's a bad habit. You don't you don't just say, well, if I had done this at that time, I could have, you know, things could have been better. But you know, that's a you don't you just don't compare. You just do put your put your blinders on and do. What you're supposed to do with someone in the studio because comparing is is a death sentence, I think. Yeah, I mean, you worked on both of their first album, like major releases, right? Dave Matthews and John Mayer. I did Dave's first two independent releases, and also I've, I've worked on his third one. But Steve Littlewhite was the main producer on Under the Table and Dreaming. But I was I was involved like in a bunch of Dave's early records as a pre-producer, you know, pre-production, and, and helped him with you know shape the songs in the studio and, and just what I was I was his sounding board. John Mayer, I did his first record, Jason Mraz. So when they blow up, like, how does that relationship change when, when you're trying to change their arrangements or, like, give them advice on this or that? They're kind of a big deal now. Yeah, well, John Mayer is huge. Yeah, yeah, he's a big John, deal. John was very good to me, very kind to me to keep me, to let me produce his first record because we had a, a phone relationship for six months before I met him, and we'd just talk about just ideas and recording and who our influences were, and um, and then I finally met him. But we were already kind of locked in before we started working together. But a lot of producers tried to take John out from underneath I when, when I started working on it. And, and I'm I'm thankful that John let me do that first record because, and then then after the first record, which is what happens, like when there's a big success, they all circle. So I lost Vultures. that second record to another guy, which made me kind of grumpy. Um, <laughs> And I told, and, I, and and John knows that, but you know, I was I was down. It was down to the last two guys, and I I didn't I didn't make it, unfortunately. Same thing with Jason Mraz, but I'm still very good friends with all these guys. I I've, I worked with John on Continuum uh, a little later. I worked with Jason Mraz on his recent record, but we've always been friends. I, I always put friendships over business, and that's of course. I don't know if that's of course. I think a lot of people put business over friendships. I think so. I think so. I mean, you put your you put your heart and soul into this, and when somebody says, "Hey, we're going to choose this other person," I mean, oh, it's is it kind of a stab in the heart. It's it like you don't want to be my is. friend. No, it, it 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 was crushing. They know that, hmm. but you know, I don't know them. I mean, and, and you know what? I was I was happy. I'm, I'm psyched that they let me do their their records. Mm-hmm. You know, but we're still good friends. I mean, I can call John or you know, John will invite me to any show. I mean, he's he's like a brother. I love him. Like, and, and he he would do anything for me. And I just I I like that relationship, you know. To play it, devil's it, advocate a little bit though, aren't they? You know, they're exploring options and they're growing as artists. Mm-hmm. It hurts, but at the same time, you're like, at least they're they're getting out there, right? Absolutely. And the thing is, as long as I lose the gig to a really good guy, it's okay. <laughs> Ooh, have you lost one to one? I'm not going to comment on that. Ooh. Well, you don't have to put a name on name, it. Name no, names. No, 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 please no, do. No, no, no. Wouldn't be the same if you didn't. We love dirt. <laughs> no, no, no dirt. <laughs> we need that more, click. More, <laughs> more bourbon, please. <laughs> more this Let's man in glass. Trust me. Trust I'll tell you, in the next thing, here's one thing I do. I'll tell you. 
<laughs> no, no. You're trying to break out some good stuff. Well. No, you can, you can, I can have the tallest pour, and I'll still keep my mouth. I'll, I'll be tight-lipped about things. Unless I'm a little overserved, <laughs> and then I'll say, off the record, let me tell you some shit. <laughs> that, that off the record part can get lost, I think. I don't know. I don't know if I yeah, caught I mean, that part on the recording. I think it was turned off. That's crazy. I'll tell you who's upset about the 2001 Grammys. Or was it 2002 Grammys? When John Mayer won Best New Artist, and you know, when we, we also won the Grammy for Best Vocal Performance, Your Body's a Wonderland, which is fun. Okay, and and I'll, this is a sidebar. I, got a, I, I didn't get a Grammy, but I got a, a plaque that. It's the next best thing to a Grammy that acknowledge your body's a Wonderland being the Grammy winner. And <laughs> you my plaque. You didn't get the, the, rec, the you know, the, the no, statue? No, I didn't get the statue. John, John did, but, but, you know, he also sang the damn thing. But I worked him into a, a I, I, I nearly killed him trying to get that vocal. He, 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 he knows it. He, 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 was, he, he didn't want to sing any more. I don't think he ever wants to sing that song again. Um, <laughs> but when they gave me the plaque, they had a big typo, which I still, I didn't have them fix it because I loved it. They made it a bit a bit more urban. It was you body is a wonderland. <laughs> oh, yeah. Early nineties R and B hit, right? Is that there. is that is that all you see? Like when you look at it on the wall, you just see you body is a wonderland. You body is a wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> I do urban. Come on. Everybody I knows. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's my attempt at I mean, what would, you, what would you do? I mean, a Grammy anyway. Come on, it'd take up all your bookshelf space. That's right. So, I mean, at least you get to occupy it's the wall just with stuff. the stuff. Tell me, just melt it down. Melt it down. Sell it right. <laughs> There's an interesting thought, though, when it comes to the Grammys and, and what we do to satisfy that spirit that comes from us. Uh, and that is, do I see a place that is lacking that I might win a Grammy? Polka. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I love the polka <laughs> every day, <laughs> every day. Something like children's music, you know, like <laughs> yeah. like what, we got to find some other not so competitive. Man, maybe you guys could crush yeah. it on the children's music scene. Gosh, mm. right? <laughs> kind of like like By the way, the Grammys Mike changed like up this some year. Weird stuff. So I would appreciate that. How, how are the uh, Grammys changing? Um, they have in their categories. They used to have five subsets. Like you could vote for like five. Um, out of five people, you know. For are, you, are you a voter? I was actually embedded. I was in the Grammys for almost a decade. I was actually, I'm a voter. Okay. Big But time. I was also, no, I was. I was Big actually deal. a trustee for six years straight, and Dang. I was on a bunch of committees, and, and, and I, I I termed out a while back. But, um, no, it was very very cool, I mean, to see and to be, to be in those rooms because it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's good, but, uh, and, it, and I, I do like the Grammys. It can be a little political sometimes, as anything mm. can be political. You oh, know? yeah. Um, but now they have, inst instead of five, am I being safe? Um, instead of five people being up for, like, artist of the year, I believe it's eight now, which okay. is interesting. I think, I think for all these categories, instead of, like, five choices, there are eight choices. So it's, I, it kind of brought, broadens the field a little bit more. I, I, I don't mind it, actually. Well, if you, have, you know, if you have those two indie artists that you really like, it kind of splits the vote, and then that that major label, whoever. Yeah. I mean, I I would think it would depend upon which the metrics that they're they're yeah. selected to kind of get into that group of five or eight. Uh, you know, I would be very interested. I mean, you know, just from somebody behind this or not behind the scenes, you know, I would like to see what those metrics are. Sure. See what the levels are and see what I those thresholds too. are. But you know, also if you're if you don't make that top five list by like twenty votes, you're like, damn. Yeah. yeah, and also, I mean, Unless the voting like process. I might get in trouble for talking about all this stuff. Ahead of <laughs> <laughs> Almost <Yeah>. Grammy <laughs> nominated. Almost, yeah. But 
you know, it's it's an interesting process. I mean, it's hard. Like, you know, you want to be transparent and you want to you want the vetting process to be really to be to be real. And you know, I can't I can't remember how many voting members there are, but you know, a lot of people don't vote. So, oh man! Oh, it's it. I mean, people are like, well, if I'm not up for a Grammy this year, I'm not going to vote. But you know, everyone tries. Do you yeah, have that too? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we. You know, so you. Yeah, I know. And and still, I think winning the Grammy is still the biggest thing to win in, in music. You know, there's nothing that, there's nothing compares to it. Oh yeah, um, it helps in every way possible. But how do you convince someone? Well, you should vote. It's like voting, you know, general election. You know, you can't put a gun to someone's head and say, "Get out there." All you can do is encourage them. Oh, well, Russia can. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Thank oh you. man, Thanks, I've been targeted Brad. now. Oh, I should probably edit that out. Yeah, you should have quieted down a little bit there. Yeah, but you got you got to stay focused on the creative aspect of things. Yeah. How do you do that? I mean, do you outsource? Uh, you know, the business practices, the business activities. How do you how do you look to do that? I mean, you have to get paid at some point, or else no, you can't you, keep doing it. You do, and you also have to. Well, that's when you get a manager. You have a really good lawyer. Oh, you got people telling you what to do. Oh, I I tell you what, I don't want to talk business with people, but I do sometimes. I mean, sometimes you just have to. It goes down to sometimes me and the artist because that way there's no, you know, there's there's lost in there's translation. No, there's no filter. No filter, and especially when it comes to you know songwriting splits and things because it's better that way. Mm -hmm. But you know, when it comes to like you know a bigger deal like from a from a royalty to publishing to I don't know, sound exchange. There, there are a lot of different revenue streams that have to be negotiated because as a producer, you don't make the money you used to off of sales. Well, what? 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 Oh, yeah. People but, but, but are streaming, music. But streaming is actually really coming back in a good way, which is wonderful. And we also just passed the Music Modernization Act mm -hmm. unanimously. MMA. Um, which is going to help everybody. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I mean, our, our <coughs> listeners are mainly like general business entrepreneur and El Toro employees. So oh boy. Um, <laughs> break that and, down and, a little and, bit. And, and the 75 audience members we have in front of you right now. Of course. Damn. Damn. Yeah, you were surprised okay. how big the studio is, aren't you? I love it. I love the sound yeah. of this place. Great. I like the way Earl, Earl Bud sounds on my headphones. <laughs> um, Who does? On this mic, you mean? On that, that microphone. It sounds great. That's. I'd love to try it out. Yeah, it's good. Music Modernization Act helps protect artists who've not been paid uh, prior to 1972. Mm -hmm. They were just, you know, everything that's been on extraterrestrial radio has been, mm. it, it, they, they never paid the artists who wrote or, 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 or produced or uh, performed them. And that's changing everything. They're, they're actually mm. all getting paid. Retroactively. Yeah, retroactively. Oh, wow. And, and also we're increasing... The royalty. Um, oh, excellent! For for like uh, on on all radio platforms. It's good. Can, do you understand the the Spotify formula to get paid out of the title? I do. I do. Okay. Okay. It's a little. I mean, it kind of changes. It, it changes, changes every month. And you, you never know. Yeah. You I, never know. But if you own the master 100 percent and you wrote 100 percent of the song, you should be getting between five and eight thousand dollars per million streams. That's pretty nice. That's interesting. But that's. But that's a big variable, right? Yeah. That's interesting. Where does it go? Where's Where it, it go? Yeah. If Jay-Z releases a, a huge album that month in your region, yeah, and you're in the same genre, sorry. The major labels are crushing it right now. They're making so much money because they own all the masters. Mm -hmm. I tell everyone, own your master and your publishing if you can. Ray Charles had it right. 
Yeah. Well, that's right. Ownership. Now Taylor Swift is making making waves about owning her masters, and it's like it's been done before, right? You know who made the most money uh, this year? I want to say Kanye West. Um, this is a in music. In music. Ah, oh, gosh, I don't. Know. This is a devastating oh, number. Wait. Clive Davis. No. I'd go Taylor Swift. Ed Sheeran. Oh. Oh. Guess how much he grossed? Four hundred thirty-two million dollars. Oh Whoa. And you know what? He's a one-man band. Oh, yeah, goes yeah. To That's Ed. a good model, huh? Wow. Oh yeah. yeah. Taylor Swift made I think two seventy-seven or something, something like that. But it she's got a big poor Taylor. Must poor Taylor. Suck Taylor. Damn it. Poor. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but Ed's having Ed Sheeran's having a good year. I love that guy. Wow. I don't know him, but I love him. You want to work with Ed? Hell yes. I think that guy's a monster. All right, Ed. Holla at your boy, John. Does good work. That's Does right. Excellent work. You know, they all love Matthews. Yeah, they, they do. They well, do. So, like, hey, man, I know this device ID. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So do yeah. you credit a lot of your business from just the network you've gained from working with other successful artists? Like, you kind of show what you can do on your releases? Or I think do you have so. to, like, rub elbows? And you know, also, I made a record with Rachel Yamagata. Um, Rachel's not that well known here in the U.S., but she's I've made five records with her, and she does very well overseas, especially in Asia. But because of the ver the first record I made with her, I worked on so many female projects. Mandy Moore came to me, and I made a, a bunch of music with her after working with Rachel. You know, it, it depends on what you're working on. You know, people are like, hmm, that's kind of cool. I worked on this new Dave Matthews record, and I, I was very proud of it. I know Dave loves it, and, you know, I, I just don't know what... I, I think that you know, music is always changing, and, and Dave is actually becoming more of a, a heritage artist, you know, like legacy artist. And, you know, Lucas is 29. Lucas is a young guy. I think he's going to do very well. Like, he, he, he just has incredible chops musically, songwriting-wise. And he's not in the pop game, but he's going to thrive just because he's really good at what he does. He, he's real. I mean, I, I, I always love real players. And, and people yeah. like his band is just insanely good. I don't know if you've seen them. Promise of the Real, but they're badass. How, how important is it for for somebody to bring a band with them, or for for possibly you to select some for hire musicians to the success of of a record? You know what? That's it's kind of a toss up, I guess. You know, because if you if you have a really good programmer, and I think uh, if you're Ed Sharon, Ed Sharon can program all that stuff on his own or mm -hmm. I mean, he, has, he, has, he has a good team and he's also the most successful guy in 2018 I don't think you need a band I just love bands mm -hmm. um, I think you need a good producer who can help uh, capture your sound or even help create your sound so it, it's, it's I don't think it's important to have a band but it's important how you fill the space around the artist to, to actually create the soundscape there's a whole whole lot of different yeah. options we we touched on a little bit earlier just about the options in that digital space. Mm. I mean, as just a creative and also pers a person who's relying on their creative abilities for business purposes, how do you deal with all those options? Like, I well, mean, are you paralyzed by them? Or, I mean, because it can slow down a project. You know what? I get paralyzed by it. I, I, I'm just going to admit that straight up because right before I came out here, I was working on some tracks. I was building tracks for songs that I've been writing, which I'm going to have a friend over in Europe helped me finish. But I can whip up something pretty quickly with with my guitars, my bass, my Omnisphere, all my all my digital things, my 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 addictive drums, all my program stuff. That's easy. But there are so many choices now. It's endless and I don't want to be that guy who sits 
in my studio listening to 200 kick drum sounds or it, it's, it's not music to me almost how, perfect almost perfect how yeah. much more time would you say you spend now than you did uh, i don't know 20 25 years ago through the advent of technology, because of the advent of this additional digital technology than you did back then to come well, up with, you know, a similar product. You know, 25 years product. ago, I was playing everything myself, or I'd have yeah. I'd have a full band, I'd, I'd have guys playing with me, or I'd, you know, I'd, it was more an ensemble, whereas now I spend a lot of time in my room by myself or with the artist, and we build everything, the two of us, you know? And it's, 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 it's apples and oranges. I love I love both of them. But I love a band. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love a band that's all glued together. And you know, like Lucas's band, they've got glue, man. They're they're awesome. Because I, I mean, you can hear the sound before it goes in. Like Ed yeah. Sheeran, he can he can kind of go with it, and like I'll fix it in the mix. I mean, it's a bad yeah. connotation of fixing the mix, but he can hear what's going to go on. But if you have to translate to that that to a whole band, that's probably a problem, right? There's an incredible video on YouTube called The Making of the Shape of You, mm-hmm. Ed Sharon, and they whip up that whole track in about two hours' time, and it's so cool. Oh, man. But Ed's just got a knack for writing great lyric, and, and to me, it's like, like Earl Bud Lee. I mean, I'm, I'm so blown away by what this guy can do. That's a gift, to just to be able to yeah. rattle off, like, crazy lyrics, because he's a, he's a deep, deep cat. So nonchalant about so, it, too. He, he really is, and you can tell that every word that comes out of his mouth is premeditated. Yeah. And I love it. I, mean, I, I love watching him think. He's incredible. I'm humbled by that guy. I mean, I was I was a little nervous to come in here with him, but we were having breakfast this, this morning. He said, can I be a fly on the wall? I'm like, damn it. You can't be a fly. You just got to be in this. You got to be Dude, a part of this thing. awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, get in deep, brother. <laughs> Hook him up. Hook him no, up. He's good. Well, he's awesome. Let's mic this cat. Yeah. What's going to come out of that mouth? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you're in the business of music production. If, if, if somebody's looking to get into this business, is there any advice that you would kind of impart to them um, to help them along the way to kind of, you know, I guess, help be the catalyst to their success? Yeah, I think you should definitely be well-rounded in the studio. Like, my favorite, I have one guy at my studio right now who I try to work with all the time because he is a a threat on all fronts. Like, he can program anything. He can play everything. He can run the hell out of any program like Pro Tools or Logic. Whatever. He knows all that stuff, and he's always one step ahead of me, which I love. It's a, it's a hard thing to find, you know. Um, I think also having a really good bedside manner. Like I, I don't I don't care how good you are, if you're cool and I want to hang with you. If you have a good ping pong game, whatever. Like you know, just just those little things. You you gotta. It, it's basic human skills like just just be fun be cool i took things way too seriously i was nervous you know especially about capturing dave matthews early on but you know i remember working with a guy who was probably 15 years older than me and he said hey man let me tell you something making music that's fun there's no reason to lose your mind over that he said i'm going to tell you what you lose your mind over your two-year-old who goes to the hospital with pneumonia oh yeah. he said that's where you lose your shit he said yeah fuck getting stressed over making music in the studio, and that kind of made me snap out of it pretty fast. I started thinking about it, like, yeah, fuck it. You know, there's, there's, there's no need to be stressed about this. It's 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 all good, that you know? It makes a lot of sense. I mean, people overlook that fact. Like, when artists come and select producers in studios and all that, 
It's like that's a client experience. I mean, I know you don't look at it like that I all do, the time. Though. I try to, though, because it, it is important for people to have fun. Yeah. And you want to, like, you know, because if they, if they look back on, like, man, that was, that dude was that a horrible. Jerk. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of, that's, that's just part of the whole thing that, that they won't let go of forever, you know. And, and I, I, know, I know a bunch of guys who, who had terrible experiences, and I don't want to be at the other end of that stick. Yeah. You know? You got to have the right carpet. You got to have the right lighting. Yeah. You got to have the right amps. It's funny. I just saw this thing. Uh, I was uh, flying back here a few days ago, and my, my friend said, watch this One Republic uh, video. And, I, you know, Ryan Tedder, mm-hmm. do you know him? He's a huge writer, one of the most successful writers in, in the last 10 years. I mean, he wrote Rumor Has It for Adele and a whole oh. bunch of things, but he's also the lead singer of One Republic. But he was saying in, in, the, in the interview, he said, it doesn't matter where you write. You don't need to have a beautiful surrounding. He said, you can be anywhere. He said, he was just saying his best songs are all, they're all written like either in the back of a bus or like in, in the back stage, like with all kinds of distractions. He said, you don't need to have the perfect environment. You know, you just kind of need to have a connection or just an inspiration, you know? Um, I believe that that's where you make good music is you, you have to be inspired. You can't force it. Yeah, it's got to flow. It's if not, flow. I mean, you can tell if somebody's forced something or not. Yeah. You know, you can prepare, but, you know, the most terrifying thing for me in, in, in music, and, and Earl Blood, you, you're probably going to be like, really? I get terrified of, of writing sessions because, and, and I, I, I do them whenever I, whenever I can, but it really puts you in the skillet. Mm-hmm. At least it does for me. But you're you're a gifted. I mean, you you have that gift of. of I'm touched. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yes. But coming up, like, and the thing is, I, I'm with, with lyrics, and I've I've worked with a bunch of really gifted lyricists and things. But if you're not that guy who's who has that gift, you're just kind of like, hmm. You know, you got you got to kind of lean on people to to make make sure you're. I'm not. That you're not messing things up. Yeah, don't you know? mess the mojo up. No, you don't. Nobody wants to be in a session messing the. But mojo it's a up. funny situation when you're in a room with someone who's throwing out crazy lyrics. Yeah, bud, we're looking at you. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you manage that? Like when people's like, oh, I got this great idea. That's why I like to hear that. I hope they do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I hope I'm hoped. It's very rare. <laughs> It's very rare. Well, you know, though, I, I like the idea of um, a title and an idea to back that title up. Mm-hmm. So an outline, kind of a source where to it's go. that easy. Pancaking and, I mean, flipping uh, an idea. I didn't want to write one night at a time because I had, you know, grown hearing one day at a time. Sweet Jesus. I'm like, man, I'm one day at a time, sweet. too close. <laughs> Roger Cook, though, who wrote If I Could Teach the World to Sing, he knew what he was talking about. We flipped it, and it was Song of the Year for George Strait. So. Yeah, no big deal. Mm. No, just says yeah, it was, I mean, yeah. uh, it's whatever, man. You know, just mm-hmm. wrote some music for George Strait, and it's great. I mean, do you, so when you're writing a song or coming up with an idea for, for a song, do you, I mean, do you actually do you write it down and map it out, or is it you just put the title and what it's about and just kind of it's a free-for-all? I have the thought... And that thought just starts getting bigger and bigger. And then when my hat gets too tight, I take it off and start writing, <laughs> writing it down. That brain's going to burst. 
I mean, what about when you're writing with somebody else? I mean, it's an art too. Okay. They've got something to say. Everything they have to say is important. I'd rather write with someone who's afraid to say something than someone who mandates that what they say is the way it goes. Wow. I think that goes for everything. Nobody wants to team up with somebody Mm -hmm. bossy. My grandfather told me one time, he said, there's more than one way to choke a dog besides cream and honey. (laughs) (laughs) You understand. Oh, you got to get these deep south references. I love them. There's a lot of ways to say something. There's a lot of ways to do something. And I believe there's only one right way. So all of these different ways that are accepted or whatever level we are all on, they're accepted. And as as music, uh, what did you say? The uh, Grammys have eight yeah. now instead of five. Well, think about that. It did expand. I mean, it, it gave some breathing room where things aren't so harsh and strict. And I hope I have that right. Uh, Even oh, quote. I hope I'm just not making things up. <laughs> Hey, if, if 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 you have a problem with what John Alasia has said, <laughs> you can call him at <laughs> his home address is. Right. You got his device ID, don't you, Stadler? I got his device ID. El Toro's man, spot on. But uh, do you guys have any parting words, you know, for those musicians trying to make it, those songwriters trying to get out there, those record producers trying to get some clients in? Read. Read. Okay. Read. Anything or everything you can everything. get your hands on. All right. And if and, and be if open. the stars aren't falling into your hands like lightning bolts out of your fingertips, you might want to consider doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> Should we play the game? I'm ready for it. We're gonna play a little game called Treasure Trash. Now this is a game that um, I play with my son. He's three years old, so it's not too complicated. Uh, but he's a genius. He so. is a genius. Yeah. And, Spot. Uh, Austin's girl can play this game. She's a genius too, but she's even younger than DT. So, it's called Treasure or Trash. And when we're walking around the neighborhood, I'll point at things and I'll say Treasure or Trash. And he will dictate to me whether or not it is Treasure or Trash. Now, I'm going to give a shout out to my buddy Matt Brenner. Uh, I point at Matt Brenner as we're walking through the neighborhood and he goes, Trash. So, shout out. uh, In this regard, we're going to name something and you guys are going to tell me whether it's Treasure or Trash. So, my collection of Aerosmith and Stone Temple Pilots cassette tapes. Treasure or trash? Treasure. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Oh, he wants to say trash. Uh, damn it. Oh, man. Bud Lee just called you lame. Yeah. Bud's just telling me that music uh, sucks, bro. I mean, Aerosmith, they had I a, love Aerosmith. They hey, had man, an arcade Aerosmith game. Is, I mean, That's God. I'm crazy Aerosmith, Aerosmith is, is yeah, my favorite rock and roll band of all time. And it's I loved when they did that Run DMC thing. Oh, oh yeah. That was crazy. <laughs> what was Funny. it? Sweet Emotion? That, that music video, Sweet Emotion? Oh, my gosh. When I was a kid and found out that existed, because they weren't going to play that on, like, regular, you know, MTV or VH1. But, man, when I saw that, I was my eyes open to the world. <laughs> yeah, Steven Tyler's a funny man, too. In his interviews, he's just hysterical. So, have, have you ever met the dude? Nope. I mean, I wonder if he's really like that. I, I think I, he I might be. He I mean, how do you? Are, are most art, artists that you know that are that eclectic? Are they, are they really? I think so. What, I mean, which interview? Like, is this in nineties, eighties? Oh yeah, nineties. Is this cocaine? Early, early cocaine days. Yeah, okay. or or mid cocaine, the like eighties. Okay, his voice totally changed though. So yeah, but and also, I mean, you know, you get word like that he's just a super nice, cool guy, and I, 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 that's I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but yeah. you know, STP. I mean, I like some of STP stuff too. 
but man, Aerosmith's a whole yeah, different a beast. Yeah, Aerosmith. I kind of want to dress my baby as Steven Tyler, just just on a random day <sighs> when I bring her into the office or something. Gosh, you'd be my hero if you did it. <sighs> Treasure or trash? Garth Brooks, alter ego, Chris Gaines. Ooh, might touch a nerve with I this one. I defer to Pearl Budley. Who's who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who's the real one? <laughs> I've been yeah, mind fucked here. I never knew that was his name. I mean, Chris Gaines is his real name. Yeah. 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 You know Elvis Costello's real name? Negative. Declan McManus. Oh, Why man. would you change that? Pretty cool, right? Like, yeah. like, are you afraid of prejudice against Irish people, or? I'm or? not sure. That's a cool name. Yeah. Ooh, that might be it. And what Good was deal. the? Yeah. Never oh, it's like Rip Torn. Rip Torn. Oh, Rip Torn. Yeah. Ooh. Or less more. <laughs> a walking <laughs> enigma. <laughs> How about the resale value of my Michael Damien Rock on vinyl? You talk way too fast. Yeah, I, don't I don't even know what, that, know what is. that is, dude. I'm going to call you it know, trash. You stumped me. What is it? Rock on. Ooh, my soul. Oh, I like that. Oh. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You turn. Treasure, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> One hit wonder? Oh, yeah. Rock on. Do-do-do. Man, the bass treatment of that was super rad. Do-do-do. Got multi pressure <laughs> on that one for sure. Hey there. Oh, dude, man, I man. love the that string song. arrangements. Forget about <laughs> it. Can you help me with some mechanical licenses to get that played? Jeez. I don't even know what I have to do to play that right now. I'm pretty sure that was what it was. I'm like, I like typed this out and I'm like, oh man, I know this. Man. Um, and it, let, let's just let's just round it out here with the uh, vintage Hard Rock Cafe Orlando T-shirt. What what year did this come from? 1990. Oh, <laughs> what was the choice? It's the it's, vintage it's, Hard Rock Cafe Orlando. Is it black? T-shirt. Of course, it's black. That's usable, serviceable, <laughs> right? Mm. Any any type of audio audio engineering or producing, you need black shirts. Hence, my black El Toro shirt right here. Interesting. Black every day, dude. Black is good. Matches everything, doesn't it? I was black, dressed. I was dressed in black every night in Asia with Rachel Young. We got it. It's easy. You just drop it like it's nothing. I was just hanging out in Hong Kong with Rachel Yamagata. That's right. Yeah, man. It's Dropping whatever. a new album. Whatever, Kicking bro. it. Man. <laughs> it's easy to dress in black. It you is. You never know when it's dirty, you know? But if it's a faded block, you have trouble with that if it's a faded block? I, you know what I do? Especially the, uh, the collars. Man, dude. You know, I try to keep, I try to not wash things that often. You can't have the bacon neck, though. That's that's the real. No, uh-uh. no sir. No way. All right. Close it on down. Shut it on down. I'm good. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the 19th episode of the ElToro.com podcast. John, Earl, thank you all very much for having us. Infinitely appreciative of your presence this afternoon. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you you so much. You've been listening to the ElToro podcast, brought to you by ElToro.com, the only one-to-one, 100% cookie-free IP targeting solution. Getting warm in here, isn't it? Or is that the bourbon?